Uh, to to be a child and be so passionate about football that something like that could ruin your day. A young girl really embodying the spirit of the average Atlanta Falcons fan after that game. <laughs> how do you, how are you guys feeling today? Wonderful. I'm glad Brett's not here because that would have definitely triggered his parenting PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Dead silence. This is the radio that you all you came said, here for. You said you were going to intro the show. Oh, yeah. oh, oh! I was confused. I thought That's, I was. I said, I, should I, I introduce? Thought, said, I'm going to intro. No, I just thought. I meant I was going to talk first. <laughs> Welcome to the Seahawks Nest. I am your host once again, Eric Ronabek. <laughs> wait, <laughs> man, wait, a ghost? A, we're, a host? Oh, we're, oh. We're, li- we're leaving this in. I, I want to. It's great. I you guys it. get to see how the sausage gets made this week. <laughs> This is the high level that they've come to expect the, uh, here on the, the high end producer that we have is Nathan Santo. Yep. <laughs> and our analytics man, uh, my friend Kevin Garber. How are you today? Uh, doing all right. Awesome. Uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful game to recap because it was a Seahawk win. Uh, a little controversy or, at the end. Or was it? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So we don't talk about the refs much, even in games where one could make the argument Seattle came out. On the, the, the lesser side. The rare, um, the rare Seattle wins the ref battle game. <laughs> so let's go ahead and hit this up once and then we can be done with it. So third quarter, throw to the end zone. We had, uh, Alfred, the cornerback, hanging all over Jermaine Curse's back. And it's like, that's the league leader in, uh, penalties too. Yep. Alfred, he's the most penalized secondary player in the NFL. Also with a very Cassius Marsh, hands to the face, with his other hand. And then we have Jimmy Graham on the last Seattle drive that resulted in the go-ahead field goal. We had pass interference on third down with Jimmy turning on a short route at the sticks and Keanu Neal literally going like over the back. Like if it was for a rebound in basketball, it would have been called as a penalty. Then we have Julio's ear slap and face mask against Sherman getting off the line on the Sherman quote unquote phantom pass interference. Oh, on really? The final Atlanta play. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Julio basically stiff armed him in the face mask on the line to get off. And huh. Sherman had to make the recovery on that play to get back there to even make that happen. These are, these are all no calls, just to be clear. These are all calls that did not go our way because they were not called against Atlanta. And there were several other ones where you might have been able to call something on Shed where he got there a little early and a few things like that. The fact of the matter is that the refs let them play all game. And like I said on Twitter right after, and so many salty Atlanta fans chose to ignore, if we were from the Falcons' nest, nest I would have been losing my mind after that game. But the fact of the matter is that there were calls that were left on both sides. And if you saw that Cardinals-Jets Monday night game, then you saw what happens when they call it tight. And what happens is a frustrating game to watch from either side. Because breathing in the vicinity of a wide receiver, that's a penalty. Did you see that, Nathan? It gets old so fast. And I I agree, too. I did see it, and it was bad. But the the thing about it is for... It it just comes down to the fact that there's so many times this game was decided in other ways, and that play would not have ended, definitively ended the game in either team's favor. So for me, it's just like a lot of crying about nothing. It's like the game's over; they're not going to change it. Like they're not going to change the result. So why go on Twitter and like find some random accounts to troll? Yes. Like does that really make you feel better? Is that a cathartic experience? I guess so. Maybe this is why we're blocked from at field goals. <laughs> Cuz we're the fans that are drawing the ire of Falcons fans everywhere. It's fair. No, uh you know like you said that Monday night game where everything was called. You know it's bad when, you know, John Gruden lays off the spider two Y banana and he uh he just gets mad at the officiating. He goes, "Come on. No one wants to see that game. You want to see the Atlanta Seattle game." Yeah, gotta let a kid play. And the people listening to this podcast got what they wanted. That's a fact. Most importantly, I think that Except we saw for the salty Atlanta fans that are going to listen to it just to complain to us on Twitter again. <laughs> we so I think, salty. I think we saw exactly what uh, these two teams are capable of. These are two very good uh, football teams that were operating at a high level. Atlanta did some really smart adjustments in the second half to make sure that Julio Jones or anyone else would get open in the in the secondary. And I think that those adjustments really mattered. And Atlanta played a good football game, and we'll see them back here in the 
in the playoffs because they'll be on the road because they lost this game. <laughs> but boom, roasted. Do we start with the offense? Yeah, I'd like to start offense, yeah. Okay, let's take a look at the offense. The Seahawks offense? Seahawks offense. Okay. All right. We don't care about the Falcons offense. <laughs> Until, Until we, we get to the Seahawks defense. defense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have Russ. Russ only got sacked once. You know, I kind of want to give big shouts to the offensive line. Offensive line is getting better every single game. That was probably the best our offensive line has played. And granted, Atlanta doesn't exactly have a fierce defensive front. Come on, don't don't oversell it. They have one of the worst pass rushers in the league. We talked about it before last week. Like, don't they? They had like people are saying like, oh, they're improved pass rush. They had had like one good game. They have Dwight Freeney, right? He was awesome that's, twelve that's years not ago. Dwight Freeney, that's Dwight Freeney's corpse. That was he was awesome twelve <laughs> years week, ago. It's weekend at Freeney's. <laughs> why can't, why do I have to block this guy? He's dead. <laughs> He's just really busted up about it. He that's can't right. do it. Again, they didn't get run over by a terrible defensive line, which I will still say is an improvement. It, it seemed like the the offensive line uh, actually. A Fetty, though? Dude look fierce. I mean, he's a giant. I mean, he's... A lot of those guys on the field are big, but a Fetty commands <laughs> presence. Yeah, that play... He looks that, like Andre the Giant out there. The Christian Michael touchdown play from the beginning of the game where a Fetty, he gets to the first level and makes a block. He gets to the second level and, makes a, and pancakes a guy. He gets to the third level and he's running a guy over as Michael enters the end zone. Like, that's the Jermaine Fetty that we are going to need if this team is going to go back to being a dominant run offense. Jermaine Fetty blocks like the villain in a high school football movie. <laughs> like just just looking for guys to bowl over. Just like the villain in the water boy is what yes, you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> he just he's always just on the lookout like who's someone I can just put on their back. Oh, put that one on his back. Time to go humiliate somebody else. Wow. That's a that's a really good point, Kevin. That's funny. Uh that's and we 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 have to talk about the the bad with the good. How did uh how did our friend Soul do? How did he do? He only looked lost half the time. Yeah. Which is half as often as he I was drawing that out of you, yeah. <laughs> half half the time. It's, he is showing some improvement, though. And maybe it's a bad foul. I wouldn't go that far. I'm trying to be a little optimistic here. Uh, <laughs> How about Jimmy Graham? Jimmy Graham was great again. Yeah. They uh, kept so- giving the middle over. They, they played so deep in the middle coverage. And Jimmy just took advantage. And I think CJ Spiller brings something nice to our offense where he can... He can do that thing that Richard Sherman, or not Richard, uh, Marshawn Lynch used to do, where Marshawn would just go and be a wide receiver for a couple plays. CJ Spiller is really good at doing that. And I think it adds like another dimension to our offense, especially if we're going to continue to not run the zone read. Like that's something that I think will really be helpful. Yeah. He's an above average route runner too. So he can go middle field more than you think. Yeah. Those three drops really were hard to swallow, but, right, but the can, versatility he brought, I agree, is good. And you can chalk it up to like, he's getting, he's still building rapport with Russell Wilson. Like, there's gonna, it's gonna take, it takes time. You don't just come cold turkey into a football team two weeks ago and then really understand everything that they're trying to do or what spots does Russell like to try to get you the ball. You know, that stuff matters a lot because the ball's moving fast. And he, if he thinks like, I'm gonna get it high on my shoulder and then Russell Wilson throws it a little lower because that's where he likes to put the ball on that kind of route, he's gonna, he might drop a pass that normally CJ Spiller's definitely gonna catch. And it sounds silly. And I will bring it up, that height difference that Russell Wilson has. He is a short guy. The ball is going to come in at a slightly different angle. Yep. Guys who are used to playing with Russell, uh, they improve over time. Like, That's true. We've seen it with Doug. Like Doug Doug and him have such perfect rapport now. Doug knows exactly where to go on every route. So Doug Baldwin, he always is in the right spots. And I know he only had four catches in this game. He didn't get targeted very much. <laughs> but it's because we were really picking on one guy. Like the whole game. They were picking on the middle of the field the whole game. Well, we're picking on the middle of the field and Robert, and Robert Alfred. Wherever he was lining up, we were trying to attack him over and over and over again. Didn't matter who he was guarding. Um, another thing too is, uh, like we got to see Alex Collins play a little bit. And I just want to talk about one specific Alex Collins play. It's the play where he caught the pass. Um, that's a really heads yeah. up, that was yes. a really heads up play. And it's the kind of play that I like to see young players make where he didn't, take himself out of the play. A lot of guys would have panicked and started blocking in that position or would have ran into an area of the field where Russell Wilson had no chance to throw him the ball. He's gotten a good spot on the field, made himself available for the dump off, and then made something happen. I like that play a lot. Um, I think Alex Collins is a useful player to have on the roster at this point. Um, he showed some nice shake on that play, it's gonna, too. It's going to be weird when because when we get uh, 
you know, when we get all our running backs back, we can't carry five running backs. That's stupid. Thomas Rawls. So I don't know what when Thomas Rawls comes back, what we're gonna do exactly with Alex Collins. I think CJ Proseis takes the spot of Spiller in a lot of ways. He can be used in the way that we're using Spiller right now. I don't know that Spiller survives that roster move. And I don't I don't think that's fair though, because Spiller has played really good in the two games he's been in a statue form in the limited action. And I think there's a lot of potential there. Well, he's going to have, what, two more games? He's a first-round pick for a reason. I mean, CJ Prosize, he hasn't done anything yet, really, to be honest. And I don't understand. He, I know he's not going to clear to practice squad is the problem. And so, it, and I at this point, I don't want to lose Collins either. And Collins probably won't clear to practice squad at this point either. And I don't think Prosize does. No. So, it's we're basically, they're stuck carrying five running backs. So, we have to cut Spiller, which seems... I to think, be honest, it seems like it's you're looking too far in the future. Maybe does that make sense? It, like, it yeah, does. Spiller but, helps the team a lot right now. Did Luke Wilson go to IR though? There's well, talk of him so going what, to IR. Carry five running backs and only two tight ends. Like the, I feel like we have to get another tight we have end. Brandon Williams and Nick Bennett. Right and Jimmy Graham. And Jimmy and, Graham. So well, Jimmy three. Graham's a wide receiver. I don't count Jimmy Graham as a tight end. <laughs> when, I, when I'm evaluating the roster, I just always mentally move Jimmy Graham over to wide receiver. Also, I would. I would. Though his blocking is the best it's been. Don't I jump the gun, though. It's, 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 it's better than Wilson's. That, thanks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when I read an article, it was a uh, it was a fantasy email that gets sent to me, and it said Luke Wilson went down, and it said, he's not good at passing, at catching the ball, but he's excellent at blocking. And I was like, do I really want to get this email anymore? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to cancel this service. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I, I will say this. Don't, don't count that Thomas Rawls is coming back this year, and I'm not trying to be a downer about it. The Thomas Rawls is a lot more banged up than we think. There is some chatter that they may just shut Thomas Rawls down. Shots fired, Brett. Way to use that roster spot on fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Just got to make fun of him while he's not here. Uh, I'm not. Hey, I didn't say anything about Tony Romo roster spot. So um, (laughs) I'm going to roster Romo all year. I don't care if he ever plays. That's what he said. He literally said that. I did like, though. So. Russell Wilson only ran the ball six times for seven yards. You could see there were several points in time where he really wasn't trusting his legs. On the aforementioned pass interference throw to Jermaine Curse, um, he yeah, a, a, he could have taken off and run. He had like uh, 12 yards in front of him, and you could tell he just didn't trust terms his legs. Of, in terms of game win percentage, that was the second most important play of the game, that pass interference throw. The non-call? No, the one that got called. Yeah, I'm the one about the 17 yards one. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. sorry. The sorry. thing about that though, Kevin, I love that he looked downfield because yeah, he he was only he was like a foot or two feet from the line of scrimmage, but I love that he went for that throw because that was a very makeable catch without the pass interference that was not called, and that would have been a touchdown. So I, well, that's why I don't fault him for it. But at the same point in time, I think historically he'd have probably taken off and picked up like 15 yards. I there. think that was great majority maturity from him. But I will ask this, uh, since it pertains to the offense, why are we not doing the read option right now? Is Russell Wilson broken? That leg brace really makes yeah, it I, hard for him to cut. Something is some Russell does not feel comfortable running as much as he usually does. Cause if he was comfortable running, they, that play would be run five to seven times a game. Yes. It's the best play in our playbook. If you want yeah. to see me break it down, uh, head over to our Patreon page, early plug. Uh, so, because <laughs> I, I broke down the, uh, how the Seahawks run the read option. But the great thing about it is that we get to play 10 on 10 when, in the rushing game. And normally you don't because the quarterback is usually a non-factor in the rushing game. You're playing so 10 on 10. he did throw 11. that one block on the C-Mike one that yard was, run. The, that was amazing. That was not a yes. block. It was more like he just stood in the guy's way and went like, and like. That's more than Soul ever does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dang, dude. If no, Soul, but I can see Soul, that. If you listen to this podcast, you can come on anytime. We love you. You're a saint. Uh, please be a backup. Give us the business. <laughs> come on the show and give us the business. <laughs> No, you know, the thing about that block, though, is you could see it coming, like, is he going to die? He's got to lay it. Like, come on, Hasselbeck threw blocks. Hasselbeck would run in the beast mode run. Like, Hasselbeck ran down the field and threw a block, and I was proud of Russ. <laughs> Injured, broken Russ, he he laid that block. Anything else about the offense, Kevin? Uh, I do like the fact that we kept running Kristen Michael. We ran him 18 times for 64 yards, two touchdowns. He averaged 3.6 yards per carry. You could tell they kind of sold out to stop the run in a lot of ways. And we still made it so they had to honor the run, yep. which keeping those linebackers down towards the line of scrimmage a little more 
is part of what opened up the middle for Jimmy Graham to Michael just have is a day. Ex- Michael's explosive enough too that it keeps it's going to keep him honest because you can't just ignore him. Yeah, no longer twenty one. Yeah, if he he's gonna he, you can't let just Christian Michael just start running gashing you over and over. So just making sure that hey, even if they're going to sell it to run, we have to run sometimes so they don't just start giving us that fake front and then backing everyone off the line, which is something that they might have started doing if we would have done that. Yeah. Yo, actually, we had a question, a listener question. Oh, bring it up. It's uh, Augustine, the Argentinian 12. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, message just in. He said, I'm slightly concerned about the run game, aren't you? And he asked, actually asked about Alex Collins, which you kind of already addressed. So how do you guys feel about the run game? I think it's fine. <clears throat> and as, as Russell gets healthier, the more we run the read option, the better it will get. Because that is kind of, like I said, that's a linchpin play in our offensive playbook. Um, and as a Fetty gets healthier too, I mean, we're just going to be able to run up the middle on some level because running behind him is like running behind a litter, like mon, it's like a monster from Space Jam, dude. He's just, he's just <laughs> blowing people away. Actually, you want to hear a great number? Sure. Please. We are the number eight team in the NFL for average rush in the, uh, guard tackle gap on the right side. That's a specific stat. And we were really like middle of the pack. Since Afedi came back, we're now 8th in the guard tackle and 12th off the right end. Yeah. So we're getting better off that right side since Afedi got back. And we actually run it 6% more often to the uh, guard tackle spot over there than the average team in the NFL. So that's becoming a strength and we're using that strength. And the pro, the pro football focus ratings for our middle linemen are all really good. Glowinski has a rating over 80. Britt actually has a rating over 90. And Glowinski, or and then Fetty has a rating over 80. The problem is Sol has like a 40. And then uh, our other tackle has a 45. I don't know why I can't remember anyone's names right now. I'm just having... Gilliam? Yeah, Garrett... Soul and Gilliam. Gilliam. Gilliam has a four, like a forty-five. So our tackles are really not pulling their weight, and it's it's just the way it's going to be this year. We're going to have to. That's but the thing that's good about the read option, and I don't hate to just keep driving this point home, is the read option is this play that <laughs> specifically hides poor tackle play. Yes, which we the, need desperately. Because one, one of the because what Soul is going to do on a play like that is he's just going to try to get in the second level and just disrupt a linebacker that's all he's trying to do on that play or he's like rubbing a tight end as he runs by because the left the defensive end that lines up across from soul that's russell wilson's job to take care of that player in a read option not bradley souls which anytime you can take jobs away from bradley soul you're helping this team (laughs) poor bradley soul goodness gracious (laughs) yeah that's uh i don't know hopefully it comes back shift into the defense shift to the defense all right where are you going first defensive line four sacks Averill built two houses, and Jaron Reed and Cassius Marsh both had coverage sacks. Yeah, I was going to say, those were the coveragestiest sacks of all time. But I'm so those. glad Jaron Reed, because anytime a big, fat defensive lineman gets a sack, and Jaron Reed, I, I, don't know if it, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but that dude demanded a double team in the run Notice that. all day, and yep. that was so nice. Our defensive line looks like we hoped it would this year. It looks like the number two defense against the run in the NFL. Our and defense is incredible. Like, I really, it's, you know, I talk about their defenses on our other podcast, but our defense is, is very, very, very good. And I think people are starting to think like, oh, this is the defense that we remember from 20, from, you know, two years ago, 2014, 2013. You know, this team was, was the, you know, Krem, everyone would just wouldn't shut up about the yeah. defense. This is the defense everyone remembers. 2.9 yards per carry for the Falcons. Freeman had 12 carries for 40. Coleman had 5 for 10. They ran the ball 17 times. That's a times great running, running back backs. core, too. They, they rely they on nothing. two and great they, running backs. And one thing we didn't give up, too, is we didn't give up uh, running back receptions, which is like a problem for us. We gave up four receptions for 17 yards to running backs, which I was very, very happy about. Including Devonta Freeman, if you take out the eleven yarder he caught, you know, then they he went two for negative one. So like yeah. we really took that part of their game and we took that out of their playbook. And you know who I want to put some of that on? Kevin Pierre Lewis played sixty percent of the got, snaps. Got the start this week. Is his first start. one of his first starts of the whole year. Played thirty nine snaps at the Sam linebacker with Mike Morgan out, and I thought he looked really good. He got a couple of pressures. He set the edge. This is the best he's looked against the run, but. This is, I haven't seen him use his speed 
as well as I did. Yeah, there were a couple the, of times where he really closed on the running back coming out of the backfield, and that's a big thing that helped shut down that running back. That's what they always perception. said about KPL, too, is that the, the physical tools are there, but we're just not sure if he can really be on the field a lot because... And so it's nice. And I like the, the Bobby Wagner jokes, you know, where he's like, we don't want to play nickel defense. We don't want to play dime defense. We want to have three linebackers on the field. Like they're yeah, serious nickel's about Nickel's a dirty that. word. They want, yeah. they want, nickel's a dirty word to Bobby Wagner. He wants there to be three linebackers on the field. He, he they take pride in how they're defending those tight ends and uh, running backs. And I think that this week, more than usual, it showed. And it's, you're right. It's because of Kevin Pierre Lewis. He put in a good performance this week. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. He wasn't flawless. He had a little trouble getting off of blocks. Once someone got their hands on it, it was a little hard for him to shed. But, you know, he kept with the play. Yeah. And when he was able to use his speed, which our humongous chunk of humanity that is our defensive line really allows a player to do that. Uh, anything on KJ Wright? Because I liked KJ Wright's game more than I usually do this yeah, last he week. Se- he he had played se- a really KJ Wright game. If you yeah. include the assisted tackles, he had seven. I mean, a KJ, KJ correct game? Super yeah. solid. Like. The thing about KJ Wright is he's under, I, even I underappreciate him because he's just so solid all around. There's nothing he's exceptional at. I don't look at KJ Wright and say like, oh, he's the best X, you know, but he's yeah. a very good almost everything. He's like a seven across the board. So like, and so that makes him into like a nine or a 10. Cause he's like, if you're pretty good at everything, then you're pretty great, but it's just hard. He's a hard player to appreciate sometimes. And I think that you're right. This week's one of those weeks where you're like, you know what? We didn't get burned on a bunch of these plays that maybe normally would have. And it's because he was very solid. You know That's... what we did get burned on, though? How does Levi Toilolo get loose mm. for three you for wanna, 69 at a touch? You want to talk about that play? Because that's, about... that's one of the two plays I've watched about 50 times this week for my uh, for my YouTube video I'm going to Let's make. talk about a couple plays. Can I give you a theory and we'll see if you saw what I saw? Okay. What I saw a couple of times in zone, and it was part of what Sherm got upset about, was I saw um, Kelsey McRae not falling into coverage in sync with the rest of the team. 100% agreement on one thing, and and this is exactly what they were trying to do. Okay, there came out in the second half, and they said, we're going to run play concepts that mess with their ability to play zone because Richard Sherman is following (laughs) Julio Jones around the field. Okay, so then what happens is, like on the play, the big play Julio Jones makes, right? They run, they have Julio Jones in the slot, they run a receiver to the outside. Sherman follows that receiver to the outside because we're playing zone. Now Julio Jones is matched up one on one and he burns the dude. Okay, then this next play, they do, they do something similar where Julio Jones kicks out and what he does is he drags across the field and Sherman follows him. Sherman follows him across the field and McCray is supposed to take that the guy pick up the guy that Sherman normally would take because we run a zone concept and instead he just lets that guy go and sinks down low and toil is wide open over the top and it's because I don't think it's a good idea for us to have Sherman following people around it goes against what they practice all the time it goes against what we work what they seem to do best and then there's those miscommunications and misplays especially when a guy like McCray has to play a lot of snaps because Cam Chancellor's hurt normally that wouldn't be as big of a problem because these guys communicate so well. Maybe we get away with the fact that Sherman is kind of messing up the zone by following a guy around all over the field. I think we should have just played him straight up. I don't think Julio Jones would have done any better than any know, worse or any better. Any seven, seven for one thirty nine. Like it's not like he would have. What is he going to go for one eighty? No. If we just play him our normal zone concept, we stick Sherman on the right side of the field. We shut that side of the field down. Earl Thomas is on the left, helping over the top. I do not think Julio Jones would have done any better. Than he did in this game. He went for a couple big ones on Shed, but I tend to agree. This is the Seahawks. What they do best, they rush with four guys. They play three unders and they play four overs. This is the defense that we've ran for so long, and it's like, don't get away from this just because we're scared that maybe our cornerbacks are not quite as good as they used to be. Like, just do it. Do your thing. We are the best. And I think our I think our cornerbacks are fine. Can I summarize real quick? Yeah, yeah. Um. So what I'm hearing from you, and this is something I believe, (coughs) this is not Richard Sherman can't follow. This is our defense has to make too many adjustments, and you're asking too many people to change their job. Exactly. This team... It's dominoes. This team is not built to do this. We are not built to adjust to a guy playing in a different spot on the field all the time. So then when Richard starts to move around on the field, everyone else's job changes. 
and everyone else is used to their job not changing. It's like the great thing about this team is everyone knows exactly what they're doing. You know, we're going to put 10 guys in the box. We're going to have four back. We're going to have four rushing the passer. So, yeah, that that's kind of exactly right. It's just everything's starting to everything starts to tilt around what's happening and it's because because of just one thing, but it's you're right, it's dominoes. Everyone now their job has changed. It's like what people used to rip him at at USC was that they said, "Well, he just runs really simple concepts and lets everyone just do what they're good at." And it's like in the NFL, that's called good coaching. Yeah, you you, you let the players be great because they're they are great. <laughs> this is when did this first start happening though? This is not a new thing we're doing this year. We did it last year, and I feel like we're improving on it, and a, a big-time receiver like Julio Jones really exploited it. But go back to, I mean, it may have been started before this, but the Cincinnati game last year. And I remember that in the Pittsburgh game against Antonio yes, Brown, too. and it yeah. also was in the Carolina game. There were big miscommunications, and it was usually tight ends, but remember, Cincinnati won late because of that a miscommunication where Earl Thomas was just like, who has the guy? Oh, the ball's coming over my head. And then you had the... A game against Antonio Brown. We won that game. The Steelers. But that was a I shootout. Say. It was a shootout. And then the game against Carolina. We lost that game late with Greg Olson again going over Earl Thomas's head. And I don't. Something switched this year where they they kind of fixed that. And we'll get to Earl Thomas having a great game in a second. Uh, a very Earl Thomas game. But it seems like now maybe this is what we're going to do going forward against big time receivers and. We're a little better at it, but yeah, there is still that miscommunication that is going to occasionally happen. And I like how we all agree it was McCray because when it happened, I was like, I think that was McCray's guy. And then yeah, on replay, McCray. it was McCray didn't look to see if the ball had left Matt Ryan's hand. As as Toy Lolo had the ball, he looked back at the at the line of scrimmage, and I was like, Oh, you're looking to see if if like a linebacker fell down. No, dude, that was your man. Yeah. yeah, it's just too many guys had to change what they're doing on the on those plays, and uh, it's just it's tough for me because I think that this team when it it does what it does best, like look at what we did against the Packers last year, where we played the Packers and and Aaron Rodgers basically wouldn't throw at Sherman, and so everyone's lining up on the other side of the field, the field's all tilted in one direction, and they played horrible because when the field when you only have to guard two thirds of the field and you have the team speed that the Seahawks do, people can't do anything. Yeah, it's you take you took, you took away a third of the room to work with. So I think it'd be better if we just would have put you know what put Sherman on Muhammad Sanu all game. Who cares? Because the we only have to defend two thirds of the field now. Yeah, and it's kind of the reverse of what we just said. Instead of other people dominoing and being off their game, you're suddenly if you're letting Richard Sherman scare you out of a third of the field, you are tearing pages out of that offensive coordinator's playbook. You're taking yeah. them off of their game. You're removing what they like to do. And and here's what happened, too, is I think that Atlanta, in the first half, they didn't expect Sherman to be following Julio Jones around, so they didn't react very well to it. In the second half, Gus Bradley had a plan. He was like, okay, this is how we're going to beat this. And he started moving guys in motion all the time, putting guys in spots you don't expect, like Julio in the slot. their offensive coordinator, right? Right, yes. Yeah, and Kyle I think Shanahan. that they were, just, they were super in sync, and they had a plan for how to beat it. And you saw it in the third quarter, 21 points. They had not converted a third down before the third quarter. They were they were looking very poor on offense, and then all of a sudden, boom! Everything just works. Sorry, I, I, I'm throwing you off. I'm laughing because I said Gus Bradley instead of uh, no, Dan Quinn. I'm laughing. I did because, do that. I'm laughing because why Eric is blocked by uh, the Redskins on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we're blocked by the no. I just me personally. Oh, okay. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. It's well because it's because of a Shanahan. Yeah, it's a Shanahan. Hey, he's a star of a commercial now. So let's do a quick uh, point counterpoint. I want to throw out uh, ending this uh, cornerback talk with uh, Sherman was having a bad day covering Julio Jones. He was down on himself. Maybe he was maybe he was pissed at someone. I think he was pissed at himself. How great was it to see the f- team rally around him and just jump up and down, get his energy back up, not give up on him? I love that. Kevin, counterpoint. Counterpoint, I think he was pissed off at Chris Richard. Ooh. Really? He was yelling at him at the sideline, and I think he was yelling at him about what Nathan just said. About the scheme, huh? About the scheme, about Us. the way that it was put in at the last minute. They felt like it was really kind of put in during the week, and with it being late that Cam was out, I think he wasn't believing in it, and he was trying to get him to go away from it. Because if you notice, after Sherm rallied around, they stopped having him follow as much. And I noticed because I saw Julio catch a couple passes on Shed. 
Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and people are talking like, oh, Julio Jones got off. Richard Sherman's not good. I think he only had like two catches actually on Sherm. The rest of the catches are all this other stuff we're talking about where he moved around the field and he got off on other dudes. No one gets a lot of catches on Richard Sherman. Well, there's seven two, catches on a crap load of targets. If, if we played our normal defense on those plays, and even if Sherman's on that side of the field, Sherman's in that play against Toilo. That's probably his guy to fall back there, and then he's going to get an interception on that play every time, yeah, which is another point. reason he will he's probably mad because he's like, hey, just let me play the zone that I normally play and let me make that play. Let me, f- give me, get me out there so I can make a big play. I guess the, the issue I had was, we're such a good second half adjustment team and we're you know the what? worst we, I've we ever seen. <laughs> and it, and it's, you know, it's, it's the student becomes the teacher, right? That's what yeah, happened. Absolutely. Man. Yeah. Dan Quinn came in and was like, Hey, I got this. I'm a, I know what to do. You know I don't, I mean? we were without uh Kim chancellor. We lost Michael Bennett who looks, uh, sounds like he's going to be okay. Thank God. Uh, and D- who was pissed? Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Is his, his Twitter, his, his and interviews afterwards. Jake Matthews is going to get a lump of coal in his stocking. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. right. At least in his black stocking. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's black Santa. Because he's black Santa. That's wonderful. Uh, uh, without Michael Bennett, without Cam Chancellor, Earl Tom, I don't know what else you have left to say, but Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas. Yelling, looking insane, playing. Who did he, he knocked the wind out of a guy and he's nuts, man. And then, yeah. and then he I went over it. as their medic, medicine, medical team is checking on him and he's like, I didn't mean to do that. I just wanted you to know. And then they try to get him away and he just, he walked away. Yeah. Earl, it, this is one of those games that reminds me of the old gif where it shows Earl standing in front of like a superimposed NASA picture of the earth. And it's like <laughs> 70% of the earth is covered by water. The other 30% is covered by Earl Thomas. Yeah. This was that game. Earl was everywhere. And he tackled a guy with a punch. Did anyone else see that? It was yes. the second. <laughs> yes. He, I, I think he was trying to jab the ball loose, but the guy slipped back and it just looked like he punched the guy in the face. It My was favorite wonderful. thing was he almost missed the interception off the deflection and bobbled it because he was going so hard for the tackle. Yes. And then had to pull up because he's like, wait a minute, ball. I don't, I don't think Earl's been bad for a year and four games or anything, but. Man, he just looked like the best Earl. I, I've I've never seen a better Earl than I've seen this game. He looked like classic Earl. Yes, and that was really nice. And he felt you could tell he off. felt it. He felt it, and that's that's bad news for the rest of the schedule. I'm just going to tell because he looked good last that. game too. He looked good against the Jets. Yeah, um, got the bye week. Looked good against Atlanta. And if we have real Earl, Earl with Directv, <laughs> Directv Earl, then this is going to be good times. Because that is a force on any defense. Because Earl Thomas is one of the three best safeties in football. Anything yep. else on defense? Oh, anything else on our defense? Uh, I would like to bring up one special oh, team I... issue. Okay, let's okay. hear. Uh, do we need help at long snapper? Do we need uh, that guy oh, God, who that married the girl at my old coffee shop? Gresham. What about that? What about that really short, what are really short guy that was in the Army Rangers or whatever? Gr- the Green Beret. Uh, yeah. Starts with a B. Thank you so much for your service. I'm sorry I don't remember your name, but I do remember what you Boyer? did. Boyer? Boy, I think it was Boyer. Let's hope so. I'm the, just going to uh, keep it a Green Beret. Long snapper from Texas, the Green Beret. Um, University of Texas. Okay, I got I got one. I got one more defensive thing. Okay. The best moment of our preseason was when we re- realized that Tony McDaniel didn't have a job and got him back because, holy <laughs> smokes, that guy is really good as a rotational tackle, and I appreciate every minute of work he is putting in for the Seahawks right now. He's putting in yes. a yeoman's efforts. And yeah. I uh, I was a little best upset. Best trip to Leavenworth ever. I feel like that was a, that was a, that was a thing where they're, they're like, they looked at like a, someone said like, hey, look at this Instagram picture of Tony, and someone was like, Tony's not playing football right now? <laughs> yeah. And then we signed him. Yeah. And it was his agent noticed that he was in Washington anyway and contacted John Schneider. It was like, hey, uh, you guys want to have a meeting? Oh, I thought and Tampa Bay had him. No. Yeah, that's, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, come yeah. on in. And I mean, he's playing a lot of snaps because we have some injuries along the defensive front. He played 66% of snaps last game. And With I thought, Clark he looked, out, yeah. I thought he looked really good. That's right. We didn't have Frank so, Clark either. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Keep it up. Proud of you. Again, though, that's two things that me and uh, Tony McDaniel have in common. We both took a trip to Leavenworth this summer, and we're both putting in a yeoman's effort in the Seahawks name. There you go. Good for you, <laughs> Kevin. Good for you. Uh, I will say that, you know, I was upset that we let Brandon Meebane go. I was upset that we, not too upset about it, but I was upset that we let uh, uh, the man who's so far removed now, I can't remember his name, the linebacker. No. Oh, Bruce Irvin. Bruce Irvin. And uh, Bruce Irvin... 
he's fine, whatever, but we're, we're filling in fine without him. And Brandon Meebane is like one step above Vince, Vince Wolfork at this point. Brandon Meebane needs to catch his breath. I, yeah, he, he needs a year off to like just get his body back to where it was. I yes. think the injuries just stacked up. He's on he's he's an older guy and he's been putting in a lot of work. So yeah, good to good a uh, good move, Seahawk. Yeah. So we do need a new long snapper. I nominate someone other than myself because I'd be terrible at it. Too. How about that blind kid? Really, all you gotta do is listen, right? You can't you can't see it anyway. Go for it. We we wouldn't have needed that pass interference at the end had we not <laughs> not bobbled that snap. Yes. All right, let's go into this upcoming Sunday. Night football on NBC game against the Arizona Cardinals. Strength we... versus strength, the game. Yeah, so across the board. Number one, what? Number two run DVOA versus number six run offense. Number one pass DVOA versus number eight pass offense. Yeah, like our pass this offense is, strength, is good. Strength, Their pass hard. defense is good. Like I, I'm a. I find this game to be really interesting from an analytic standpoint. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, what do you want to break down first, Kevin? What the our offense versus their defense, or their uh, the other way around? You know, on the what to watch, I'm going to be focusing on our defense. Let's take a look at the offense right now. Okay, so let's take a look at their their offense or ours. Our offense. Our offense. So our offense. What we've done best so far is pass, and um, it's weird because. You know, you look at our adjusted line yards and our run blocking. We run so good into the second level that and, and yeah. we, that we uh, that it kind of drags that rating up. But our power running is terrible. We're twenty eighth in line adjusted yards. Yeah, it's like we do a, we do some things really well and other things not. But anytime we just like put like six guys out in the on the line of scrimmage and say like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna run it right at you. That's not a good sign. It better be to the right and it better be quick. Yeah. The play better develop very fast. Yeah, how many times against even Atlanta did you see a guy in the backfield, like before the handoff? Yeah, there was, there was a guy much... stumbling into the backfield before the yep. handoff so often. And that's against a team that doesn't have Chandler Jones and uh, the destroyer of worlds himself, Calais Campbell, my uh, my white whale, my my, my uh, one of my favorite non You love him, yeah. As, as you should. If and they, they have the zone read though against an over aggressive right. Dominic and suit, or uh, sorry, uh, Robert Gimbici, that could be amazing. Yeah, this, this is a team. This is a game where the the our ability to run that play will matter, and I have a feeling that we're not going to run it. Uh, I agree. The the safeties, the thing that that Arizona does that makes them special, okay, that makes them different than any other team is they have two safeties that play both linebacker and safety. And uh, Bobby, this stuff makes Bobby Wagner mad because he's like, "That's that's nickel, that's dime, that's fake. I don't want <laughs> I don't want safeties playing linebacker. That's my job." Like, Poser. Bobby Wagner has talked about this on on a radio before. But the thing that it makes Arizona good because those guys are strong enough to fill gaps, but fast enough that they are number one versus tight ends, and it's not even close. And they're number five versus running backs. They yep. do not get beat in the middle of the field at all because they have so much speed. And Deion Buchanan is just strong enough that he can hold up in the run game. It's not—he's not like—he's not like, not like uh, Bobby Wagner, but he's you know close enough that yep. it, that it that it makes up for that. And the amount of speed that he puts on the field is literally insane. But they're also 14th against wide receiver ones, 16th against wide receiver twos, and 17th against other wide right, receivers. So they're not getting burned by those guys, but they aren't great. Patrick Peterson may be a little overrated. I think most people are starting to realize Very that much so. he maybe is not quite as good as the actual top-tier cornerbacks. I think he's more playmaker than shutdown, and people have a hard time realizing that unless you watch a lot of They team. have a hard time differentiating between the two. Yeah, because <clears throat> he's really he's a great playmaker. He makes the prettiest interceptions you'll ever see. The greatest cornerback of all time, Deion Sanders, was both. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did and, it all. And so people assume, well, cornerbacks take the ball 80 yards for a touchdown. And and that's what makes a great corner. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. But Patrick Peterson had one really awesome year, and he's he's been solid, but he's not. He's a really good corner, but he can be exposed. And Doug Baldwin's a really crafty route runner, and those are the types of guys that a Patrick Peterson will have trouble with. Like uh, receivers like that give a guy like Peterson fits because. He's not trying to outrun you, and he's not trying to out-agile you. Doug Baldwin's going to find the spot where you're not paying enough attention, and he has such rapport with this quarterback. I think Baldwin's been a little bit quiet. Lockett's been a little bit quiet. They're both really good route runners. Both of them could have a day. 
Yeah, I and wor- if the team's going to win, that's what's going to have to happen. I worry really a lot about the way that their defensive line and outside linebackers match up against us, though. That's because a worry. Calais Campbell, Frosty Rucker, Chandler Jones, Robert Kondiche, these guys can all get after it. Like, they get after the passer. And they're going to be coming from different angles because they run a 3-4. So 3-4 is always you can change up where the pressure's coming from. You could change who's dropping back and who's rushing. And so... It's it's really challenging to, to guard a team like this. And Chandler Jones has been one of the best offseason signings for any team this offseason. The trade? Great yeah. trade. Or, they yeah, made. offseason move. Sorry. Yeah, for an offensive guard that got cut, yeah. <laughs> Did they really cut? Yeah, New England cut Cooper. So I think Cooper's on the Browns now. I don't know. Some yeah, another thing, I mean, you look at their depth chart. Like They list Deion Buchanan as a starting inside linebacker and backup strong safety. Like This guy is just... Is just I mean, he's just an awesome football, a unique football player. Tyron Matthew, I think that he wouldn't work on a lot of teams, but he really works on this team. And he is an underrated blitzer, and that gives me a lot of worries because I don't right. know how changing this the team handles again. that. Yeah, changing like, the Desmond angles Trufant against Desmond Trufant got a sack. Against a team that can't really defend uh the pass rush very well being able to change the angles and play with it is not something that i'm really excited about yeah they will expose the weaknesses of this line for sure they love to blitz and is teron matthew now officially a cornerback for them because i know that he's playing safety still but he's like a he's like a nickel safety yeah and what they do is they they'll do what we do with (laughs) uh with cam where they'll line him up in all different spots on the field within five to ten yards of the line of scrimmage and they'll put their other safeties, oh, another guy way back there, Tony Jefferson, who's been awesome this year. Uh, Tony Jefferson, I think, is like, he has so many backfield tackles. Uh, he's really gotten after it in the run game. I think that this team is just, they're a unique beast to try to go against. And it's it, it presents a unique challenge for our team where our offense has really been up and down all year. We've had success in the past game, but it's mostly because Russell Wilson's incredible, not because of anything we do. And then they get to throw Tony Jefferson's going to be in our backfield on all these run plays, and Tyron Matthews going to be blitzing, and Jefferson's going to be running back, and like all these guys can do all these different things. And I don't want I want to be able to keep it simple on offense, and we're not going to be able to do that because of how complex this defense is to to go against. So there's going to be some pressure on. Again, I think it comes down to Lockett and Baldwin. Can they get off of press? And can quick. they make quick slants? Yep, it's got to be quick. We can be if the quick, quick hitting throws. pass t- pass happens, then suddenly they have to keep Honey Badger back a little bit. They have to keep Buchanan back a little bit, or they have to get burned over and over and over by these chunk yards. And at least and don't forget Russell the strong Wilson's safety man. That guy enough. is. I think that guy is second in the league in pat- tackles done behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Like the the the, the non the non honey badger the non Deion Buchanan like that guy on run plays is Tony Jefferson is right in the mix and I, that's a player I would watch that maybe you don't hear about every day that's like my uh, my secret player that Arizona has that's actually really really good and they had a guy they let go to Tennessee and they just then they just and they just next they were just man like, up they were just like oh that we have this guy secretly and we've had him for three years yeah and yeah just so you know he went to Oklahoma and he's awesome yeah. He, his story is pretty great too. He went undrafted because he came out a year early when he probably shouldn't have, and uh, and then yeah, of course Arizona makes him into a world beater. So what you're saying is that he's the career path that Tyvis Powell is going to have. I mean, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Only one team has three in the top ten, and it's Arizona. They got Jones, uh, Jefferson, and uh, I think Honey Badger. All three of the guys have a lot of backfield tackles. They're aggressive. They have so, watch so them, much team speed. Watch them to just be aggressive, swarming all the time. Um, this is going to be a defensive battle because I don't think I think our defense matches up really good with their offense. Yeah, Carson Palmer's been off. He can't throw the deep ball this year with accuracy, and our secondary is not a good team to be inaccurate against. Nope. Our, the Palmer's probably going to throw interceptions. Our team is really, really, really elitely good against the run, which is what Carolina's been leaning on because David Johnson's been awesome. Yeah, Arizona's been absolutely leaning on that run game with. Uh, uh, David Johnson most of the time, and then they just have you know CJ2K sitting in the wings, who's kind of become the savvy veteran back. He's so he's can, out. Just I think is, I think is he out? He has out this week. Yeah, you know he's he's out. I think maybe the rest of the year. Andre Ellington though is now that savvy guy. And Andre Ellington has burned us in the past. And, and Ellington, he's quick and shifty. And Ellington's he's a good the kind of guy back. too, where if you just get him in there for ten plays a game, like and get him the ball three times, he can make something happen on one of those three yes. plays. That's really gnarly. Uh, the, but 
David Johnson, at this point, are we ready to say, what? where would you put him in the top echelon of running backs in the league? Is he top five now? Is top two? Like I, I'd say he's top two this year. Uh, are you talking about for a single year to build a franchise? Because like like I think DeMarco Murray's better than him right now. Yeah, so like it's, it's for me, it's there's, there's, Le'Veon like, Bell, there's like five Murray. guys you can talk about. Like You can talk about Shady McCoy, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, DeMarco Murray, and uh, Le'Veon, Bell. Le'Veon Bell. Those are the five guys, I think, that are in this conversation for like best running back. And yeah, I'm, best running back this year, I think those are the ones, yeah. And I'm just not sure, man. Those, those are... David Johnson, David Johnson's anywhere. right in there, though. And like, David Johnson can do anything, though. He can run outside. He can run between the tackles. He can catch the ball and run with it. He can line up like a wide receiver? <clears throat> Absolutely. I, I mean, mean, in terms of DVOA for catching, he's in the top 10. And, he, and like all the guys that are ahead of him, a lot of them are like those catching backs that you think of, like Tevin Coleman, Giovanni Bernard, Theo Riddick, James White, Chris Thompson, all those guys that are like Darren Sproles. Those are known as pass-catching backs. I'd say Shady McCoy is the only person who has the same level of versatility. But I he's think not the consistent. doesn't use well, him Bell. in that way as much. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is a, a fantastic He's a really pass good pass-catcher, catcher, you're right. Le'Veon Bell just can't stay healthy. And that's... And no, it's not that he can't stay healthy. It's, it's that he can't He can't stay off the, the weed, man. Well, he <laughs> maybe a little from column A, a little from column B. He's losing, he's losing like three games a year to marijuana. Yeah, but he he all remember he blew out his knee last year. He's yeah, on the Ricky Williams plan. And as far as uh, Demarco Murray goes, Demarco Murray is forty eight. We're talking about just this okay, year, okay? Just this year, and you're talking about mileage after that friggin' Dallas season. Yeah, yeah I when know. he carried the I ball know. like a thousand times, and then and then carried it one time when he played for Philly. It took him like a it took him like a season to get his health back. Yeah, honestly, after that. I think that may have helped him be on Philly because he was on he wasn't. He wasn't right, and he also was misused. So I mean, he and yeah, he's getting close to thirty, which is like the the end of the line, right? In yeah, NFL years, he's only two years away from the end of the line. But if we're look being honest about it, he's only carried over the ball over two hundred times twice, and one of those times was that crazy season where he carried the ball four hundred times. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Demarco Murray might have like a like a late career beast mode style resurgence where he has like an extra couple years of productivity because he kind of shared the load. Yeah. Some. Yes. Maybe AP like uh, I will say that I'm probably going to see all Wolf Gray this uh, this. Oh really? We always play in Night Arizona. Games? In Arizona, Wolf Gray, and they're going to wear white, probably right. Uh, they'll have to do red tops with white bottoms, or okay. they'll do yeah. red tops at some point. And I I want to know where our points are going to come from. That's this is what I struggle with in this game, and why I'm. This is a huge. Are we, are we at picks? Now? Can we? Can I make? Can I circle this into picks, or did you have? I something? think we can circle this into okay, picks. Okay, so I I'm kind of at a point too. With that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is I have a hard time seeing us scoring a bunch of points, and I have the feeling that it's going to come down to uh, like toxic differential plays, and it's going to come down to who gets that interception at the right time, makes a short field, gets a touchdown, and who doesn't. And um, I think that their pass rush is a, is really scary, and I don't want to face their pass rush. And I think that that is going to lead to like a close loss, like a twenty to seventeen style loss for us. The, I Arizona Arizona people jumped off the train at the beginning of the year because they played so poorly and Carson Palmer had that concussion. And I think people should be jumping back on this team is this team is not garbage. This t- and the NFC is much better than the AFC. I think that the top six teams in the NFC are all better than every team except maybe New England in the AFC. I'd agree with that. And New England's a coaching injury away from being terrible. Right. If, uh, Bill, Be- if, Bill, if Bill Belichick has a heart attack, I mean, all bets are off the table. If he could table. be if Bill Belichick slips and gets knocked unconscious and thinks that he's a, a Frenchman who loves romance, <laughs> a la the Flintstones, then, then everyone's going to be okay. Yeah, I just I pull him from everywhere, Kevin. I pull him from everywhere. Okay, I will say this. This is a game that I have circled as an uh-oh game. This is a game that I don't want to pick as a loss. I never want to pick the, the Hawks to lose a game on this show. That's not Honestly, it. I don't think I've ever picked us to lose in this show, and that's part of why I did that. It was just to get end that so I don't have to think about it anymore. Because I'm, I'm pretty maybe. sure that's a thing. Okay. <laughs> I will say this, though. I had the exact same thing last December, I think around the 21st, when we went into Arizona and destroyed them. So... Because I think this team is riding high and we had our bye week and after the bye week we always turn it on. It's usually later in the season. I'm feeling confident. I think this team is feeling confident. I'm saying we win seventeen to six. And my first I can totally dig that score. If we get like a pick for a touchdown, we score another offensive touchdown, and then we just hold them. 
That's and totally, totally. I think cool. there might be a missed field goal. My original pick was going to be 23 to 6. I think that was a little too bold, so I'm going 17 And last six. year, the game where we killed them was the last game of the season. is January 3rd. And it, it was like that. Ah, I was, it was 36 to 6, and we just routed them. And it, and it, it mattered for them too, I think, because it dropped them from one yep. seed to two seed. And like, they need, they and sh- that cost them. Yeah. And they needed to, they needed to play more games at home. And Bruce Arian shouldn't run his mouth. That's what that game said. Drew Stanton, two picks in that and game. And he wears a stupid hat. Yes, he does, especially during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> um, Eric will be running our fashion podcast. It releases on Fridays. You don't even know. The beginning of the season was still getting over that Green Bay loss. Yeah. Because uh, was, that was a bad loss. Like That was that must have been heartbreaking to feel yeah. like you're 13-3, and three, you're so good, you're so good, and then just like to fall apart like that. Yeah, and they fell apart in they, the span of a few games. I'm, I'm not making this up, right? That's a thing that happened. The Carolina right? loss, right? Carolina loss. That's what, oh, I heard. Chain, I heard Carolina. He said Green Maybe Bay. Maybe I said me. Packers, but I meant yeah, Carolina. Yeah, that was. Well, they didn't. Palmer they didn't, looked awful. They didn't lose that game. They got beat. They got destroyed. Yeah. And they didn't even have a comeback that they could feel good about. Like Seattle kind of mounted a comeback. They had a comeback they that kind of, that tried to cover the spread, right? They put up 14 points to try and cover the spread. Something like that. It was, uh, yeah, they beat Green Bay in overtime, and then they went to the conference championship, and they lost 49 to 15. That is a that is a thrashing. That is, and Palmer threw four interceptions. Yeah, I, that's what that's what I'm remembering is just them getting destroyed. At and that was class. really the beginning of the end for Carson Palmer. And they, I mean, they couldn't have they couldn't have won, gotten the uh, the number one seed. But in the last week of the season, they didn't know that because they play all the games at the same time or whatever. So they were the last game of the season. They must have been. They should have been trying to beat us at least for the chance yeah. to, to get that seat up. Well, they were upset after that game, Kevin. So Arizona's tackle play has been inconsistent. Our pass rush from the outside is exceptional. Arizona's relying on the run. We're stuffing the run. Their quarterback is inaccurate deep. We have a defense that can pick that apart. Before the season, when I was picking game by game, I picked Seattle to lose in Arizona and Seattle to beat Arizona at home. Because that's what I do with two teams that I feel are really even. Because I feel like that's a difference maker. But right now, I have this sneaking suspicion that we didn't see the zone read because they were saving it. And that's the kind of frustrating thing that this coaching staff has done in the past. I think they might have been saving the legs on Russ because they knew they'd need them this week. And if Russ has his legs underneath him, I think we know where the points are coming from. They're going to come from turnovers, and I think Arizona is the more turnover-prone team. Yes. So I am going with 20 to 10 Seattle like I like it <sighs> alright you guys uh, so this is the point in the podcast where I get to do some advertising and since it worked so good last week I'm going to do it again so if you want to support the podcast if you want to help us out if you want to make uh, me eternally happy so I can buy a four microphone mixer a true four microphone mixer not this fake four microphone mixer like I have now so that I can sound a little more high quality and I can even out the levels a little bit, please visit us at patreon.com slash Seahawks. And Kevin, I heard you wanted to shout out the two people that are already on board. They're part of our squad. I got some big, big shouts. We finally figured out who our listener from Eagle River, Alaska is. Yeah, Eagle River. So thank you, Joshua from Eagle River. Josh represents. And thank you. I hope that you make it down here for a game. And if you do, let us know. We will tell you where to eat. Yeah, that's we can do that. (laughs) And we'll tell you what light rail exit to take. What was the other one? And the other one is Kimberly. Kimberly yeah. did not send us a friendly email letting us know where she was from. But Kimberly, well, you're, awesome. you're amazing. Yeah, thank you're, you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you cool. forever. Uh, and uh, they are they are now privy to my exclusive play breakdown content on YouTube. And uh, be on the lookout this week for uh, how the Atlanta attacked Richard Sherman late in the game. I got a couple plays that I think are pretty interesting for that. And maybe it'll help us understand how other teams try to attack us later this season. Um, and then... Uh, that's it. Jam, jam that like button on Facebook and stuff. All right, it's time for Movie Club. You guys ready? Yeah, I'll yes. for Movie Club. Um, uh, it's October. I'm going to do all kind of horror-y movies, horror-ish <laughs> themed movies. Scary. Okay. Um, 
terrifying. No, not necessarily scary. No, I'm just saying you saying all this is very scary. Oh, okay. And so, um, <laughs> so I want to, I wanted to, to break down, uh, a zombie comedy classic. And a lot of people are probably thinking right now, Zombity. oh, it's going to be Shaun of the Dead, but those people are wrong. Because I, if I'm doing an Edgar Wright movie, I'm not doing Shaun of the Dead. I'm doing Hot Fuzz. So, <laughs> so, so, because I, you know what? I want to talk more about Hot Fuzz than I do about Shaun of the Dead. So I'm going to do the more, the more current zombie comedy classic. That is Zombieland. I knew it. Oh, Sorry, Woody, Woody Harrelson. And as Tennessee, and Jesse Eisenberg. The guy from the Facebook movie, <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg. So guys, what do you, how, how do you guys feel about Zombieland? And and why is this movie the the movie that I watch the most on Netflix? <laughs> because for some reason I always just scroll through movies and I'm like, oh, Zombieland's still on here, and I just I just start watching it. It's just like it's just like visual cocaine. I don't know. Like I just yeah. I love I love to do it. Uh, I think uh, I'll t- I'll take the floor first. I think the appeal of this movie. I mean, yeah, it's the zombie genre is way too big right now, and, and this movie was part of it too. Like it was like oh, we absolutely. were at we were at like the peak zombie saturation point when this movie came out it's, yes it's kitschy you know they have the big words that come across the screen that you know rule number one cardio i believe that's rule number one yeah yes it, it, and then there's like the surviving the, yeah it's it. surviving the the zombie apocalypse and you know that's kind of cool and it, it gets cool as the movie goes on the music's fun uh it's it it goes from the beginning you know where the their nerdy guy really just falls in love with the girl across the way in the apartment and then she needs his help because she's been bitten by, a, by some guy and she doesn't know why. And he's like, I'll make you some dinner. And she's like, thank you. You're so sweet. I'll give you some Mountain Dew code red. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and it's just this, you know, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm finally going to hang with this girl. And she, of course, tries to eat him. And it's it gets gory. It's still, it's still comical. But I think one appeal of this movie that people will not really think of right away, at some point, all of us have kind of imagined or some would fantasize what it would be like to be the last man on earth or one of the last people on earth and, you know, just walk through a town and there's no other human beings. And this movie does way more than explore that. That is almost like the theme of the movie. If you think about it. Yeah. And yeah. and it also, it, I think the theme of the movie really is about like developing relationships in a situation where you're going to be super yes. distrustful of anyone you meet because yeah, starting because, with the fake names, yeah, mm-hmm. and just keeping rolling with it. Yeah, it's just like every there's there's this base level of super distrust, but because of the way humans are, I mean, because of the way we are as humans, like eventually you do develop, you develop these relationships that become really important, and I and like you know, and they're looking for the Twinkies and you know all this stuff, and it's just like those things, like you start to really invest in those relationships, and you watching the movie. At first, you're like, oh, this is like an aloof nerd, and like, uh, this guy's kind of a jerk. Why did he paint a three on the side of his SUV? <laughs> you, know? you just get this idea that like, oh, these, this is, I, I don't know how I feel about these characters, but over time, you know, just like in the movie, they grow on you as the characters grow on each other. Absolutely. What makes this movie for me is that this movie is completely self-aware. Uh-huh. The way exactly that it's self-aware it's and has fun with itself is what works. What are we going to do? We have the guy who is far too into the fact that it's the end of the world. Yes. <laughs> All about it. Has been waiting for it. We have the the guy who, you know, trying to hook up at the end of the world because he couldn't be successful in any other situation. <laughs> yep. We have, and we have the narrator because he narr- he's narrating the whole thing. You know, you talked about the rules and it's like, this awkward Wonder Years styled narration over Where the he's top like, he's of the end like of the world. He's looking back, yeah, yes. on, like yeah. Some, on a story he's telling, which is just ridiculous, but it fits the way the movie is. And then, what do they do in the end? Then you have the brother, or you have the, the sister con team, yeah, yes, sister con team. And so, what do you get in the end? In the end, you find out like the con team is only a con team because they're so scared. Yep, and they're the, two women alone in the apocalypse. Because they don't want to because, deal yeah, with this. In, in this situation, you should be innately distrustful of everyone. Absolutely. And the guy who is looking forward to the end of the world, it's because his life trajectory was tragic. He already lost it all, and so what else did he have to look forward to? Instead of committing suicide, the world committed suicide around him. Yeah. Like yeah. the twist on the characters at the end of the movie is 
so unexpectedly deep by the time you get there where it's like been this really light movie this whole time and you realize the relationships built to a level that now they all it's all they're all together like this is the squad you know this is the the team and that's really what the the movie is building towards and you don't realize it until it gets there and it does something that other zombie movies don't do zombie movies that take themselves seriously immediately have people banding together socially for survival and the trust is so immediate and here they play with the mistrust and it really makes the development arc unique to a zombie movie i uh i really enjoy this movie and i think we would be remiss if we didn't mention everyone's favorite part of the movie which is arguably the greatest cameo quite excellent probably the greatest cameo i would i can dig that it's an amazing cameo. The, the bill murray the extended bill murray cameo which is just so funny (laughs) <laughs> and it's just, and it's so funny too. And like when he kills him, everyone's just like, "Yeah, that was stupid. Why did we? Why did we yes. do that? Like, well, it's a terrible it's, idea." From the minute it starts, like we're in Hollywood. Where are we going? And Woody Harrelson's character's like, "What's the state he's from?" I don't remember. Said, but uh, Tallahassee. Tallahassee. Yeah, he's so he'd be Florida. I think. Or I think maybe he's just Tallahassee, or whatever his name. But was. he goes by Tallahassee. Yeah. So he. So he he's like we're going we're going to a place I've always wanted to go and it's this mansion with golden gates with a big B M you don't really know who it is at first <laughs> you realize it's Bill Murray and zombie Bill Murray comes out and they're about to shoot him and they realize uh, oh I'm I'm just in I'm in you know I'm in makeup I just like to fit in you know I, I like to go to the store all these great things but you know they they dress up in the Ghostbusters car- costumes which was great but. When and spoiler, sorry if you haven't seen this movie, but as Nathan said, when Bill Murray gets mistakenly shot because Tallahassee, do we know this yet, Nathan? Yeah, yeah. Is that, okay, Tallahassee. Yeah, it's Tallahassee. I looked it up to make sure, but I, yes, we were correct. It's he, Tallahassee. He shoots, he shoots Bill Murray, and he feels terrible because that's his hero. But he he's across like, oh, yeah. Just, Jesse Eisenberg shoots him right in the oh, chest. Oh, Jesse, that's right. Yeah, and then and then, but Tallahassee can't even be mad about it because he's like. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. He dressed up like a zombie. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Murray, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he just says, you know, I think we're past the pleasantries. <laughs> and of course, they leave it open to take one shot we've all wanted to hear. And that was, do you, do you have any regrets, Mr. Murray? Garfield, I suppose. <laughs> Oh, Which man. the best part of that was he still hadn't he still had was under contract for yeah. the second Garfield movie and he still just does yeah, that. You just, mean I think you mean to call it by its proper name Garfield: A Tale of Two Kitties and oh. that movie had already been made too though. But, oh, it had. Okay. Yeah. The, but the, do you know that the story of him taking that Garfield role is pretty funny? He took that role because he it's made by the director and writer is a guy by the name of Cohen. He thought it was a Cohen Brothers Garfield movie. <laughs> why why would the Cohen brothers what make a, a Garfield movie? This is so high. This is why Bill, This is why Bill Murray shouldn't get stoned and just listen to his voicemail to take roles. I mean, that's literally what he does. He doesn't have an agent. You just call his voicemail, you leave the pitch on the answering machine, and maybe he takes it. That's we should, right, we should well, ask. We should ask Bill Murray to be on a guest episode you, you of Seahawks Movie Club. You if, get what you deserve, I think. In if some we were level. Bears podcast, he may do it. <laughs> Great choice, Nathan. All right. Well, and they are making a, a sequel. That's a thoroughly enjoyable They're making movie. a Zombieland sequel? Yeah, which may or may not. The, it's been in the works. I don't know if it's actually coming or not, but it's... Yeah, it's been a long time in the works. It, it could be good. Could oh, be yeah, bad. it's in pre-production. There we go. That means it could never come. So I wonder if they would do it totally different. Oh, no. It says all four main cast members are expected to, to return. Jesse Eisenberg says he can't wait, and Woody Harrelson says the script is done. Uh, let me let me ask you this real quick. I love Woody Harrelson and everything. Ever. Do you think they'll and this do it? Just makes me Jones that much more for the Kingpin podcast. <laughs> do you think they would do another another uh, big cameo in this movie? And if they did, who do you think it would be? Ooh, good question. Who could they do that's as good as this Bill Murray cameo? As good as that's hard. A female. I think they might go female. But like who? Well, it's too bad Joan Rivers <laughs> is dead because she would have been amazing. Oh, that would have been awesome. Who would? Who's like an old school? It doesn't star. have to be old school. If you think about the girls, maybe wanting to visit someone, because you couldn't do Dan Aykroyd. No, that's, and that's too. Close. I don't think anyone would that's care too either. I think honestly, I could see maybe doing Beyonce. Queen Bee could oh, show up for the girls. Funny. If they <laughs> Queen Bee could show up, that, that'd be awesome. It would be unexpected. Oh, what if it was Beyonce and Jay Z? <laughs> there you honestly, that would be really good. That would be oh, really great. Oh man, that'd be so funny. All right, well, you know, now we they're, got directions. They're leading email the us, comeback of society. Email us your favorite ideas. 
for Zombieland 2 potential cameos. And we will go over them at the, at, at the beginning of next movie club before we cover our next movie. Oh, yeah, you're not going to spoil it. Good. No, no, no. no. Yo, do, you want, do you want me to tell you? No, no absolutely not. I'm just joking. Uh, all right, that's, that's what I got for you. Yeah, so hit us up on Twitter, Facebook. Hit the like button. We have 2,000 followers on Twitter. So why do we only have 85 followers on Facebook? Come on. Um, yeah, there's 200 of you that listen to this. If you have a Facebook account, just like it. No one can see who likes a Facebook page except for us. Yeah. And so, so I we guess know you maybe, don't. That, maybe that's bad. Maybe you don't want us to know about you. <laughs> yeah, you might get a big shout for you. Um, yeah, we might say your first name. Watch out. Hit us up on SoundCloud. If you like us on SoundCloud, then like us on SoundCloud. If you like follow it. us. Oh, if you go out, if you listen on iTunes, uh, hit that five star button. Every, all that little stuff adds up. Trust me. I know it sounds silly, but it adds up. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a rating. Yeah, help us build uh, on whatever, whatever, whatever medium you do. Cause the, the bigger it gets, the more cool stuff we can do. And remember, every dollar we get that is not spent on equipment is going to be spent on prizes. We're going to try, we want to give stuff away. That's my, that's my fave. I G- love giving us, stuff away. Give us, give us a rating to your friend Mike. Or, uh, or, you know, convince convince your mom to rate our podcast because my mom won't. My mom doesn't love me. (laughs) (laughs) I never learned to read. (laughs) Any any other plugs, Kevin? That's it. All right. For Kevin Garber, for Nathan Santo, for executive producer Brett Hancock. Hi, Brett. Well, what do we have? Brett's pick. Oh, sorry, Brett's pick. A hundred and eight to seven. I'm, I'm really feeling down about this game, guys. Uh, I think they're going to shut us out. It's going to be like 346 to nothing. We're going to lose. <laughs> down Brad Hancock. Uh, I'm the host, Eric Rombach. Thank you very much for listening. Go Hawks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.